Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, well, good morning, Mercy Church. It is good to be with you this morning. I hope you had a great, joy-filled Thanksgiving, filled with laughter, joy, and fun. Uh, As we finish our series in uh, the book of Ephesians, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And some of you, in a response to that, you're going to say, spiritual warfare, huh? That sounds like Thanksgiving at my in-laws, which I totally get. So this morning is for you to encourage you back up into strength in the Lord uh, after a long battle. Uh, And so jokes aside, today we're going to be talking about a subject that really piques people's interest. Uh, We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be talking about spiritual warfare. And as I was prepping for this week, there are two types of people that I had in mind for this sermon. Those who know that they're in a spiritual war, those who know but operate as if they aren't in one, and those who had no idea they were in a spiritual war and are now shocked that I'm even including you in it. Well, the reality is, what we're going to see in this passage is that there's a very real spiritual war going on right now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the war whether you want to be or not. It's like when I was in high school, at the end of every school year, there was always a food fight on the last day of school. Uh, It was school tradition, much to the dismay of administration, but every year there were new participants in the war that didn't even know it was going to happen. Yes, they were called freshmen. The upperclassmen never let them in on the plan, and every year freshmen would waltz into the cafeteria on the last day of school. And make no mistake about it, they were in a war, but they didn't know it. Like many of us, we we, were kind of like these freshmen, you know, in this food fight. You're, You're in a war, but you're completely unaware, or you're acting as if it isn't real, and the devil's just having his way with your life. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted us to, wanted to ensure the church in Ephesus, in the church for us, to know that this battle is very real. And like a good spiritual general, he equipped them with the materials of war so that they can be confident in battle with the Lord. Church, listen, there's so much that could be said on this topic. Uh, Some of it's coming from my background and and, and story. Spiritual warfare is a topic that I like to discuss. But as one of your shepherds, I have a great hope for you. And it's this. I really hope and pray that you would no longer be intimidated and deceived by the enemy. In my 13 years of ministry, I've seen all sorts of wild attacks from the enemy. The devil uh, knows that if he can scare you or he can deceive you, he can keep you from believing the most precious truth of all. And that's God's great, great love for you. If he can get you to doubt it like Adam and Eve, he can deceive you into throwing your life away. But Mercy Church, there is a greater path. The enemy will not have his way in your life. On the contrary, you are the victorious one. Why? Because of Christ's victory on the cross, it wasn't just a victory over your sin, even though it was. 
It was also a victory over the devil, his demons, and all of evil. You are the victorious ones, but unfortunately, there are some of us in this room, even right now, that you are shackling yourself back into being a slave to sin and to lies. Well, my prayer is Mercy Church no longer. Not anymore. He has been defeated. The enemy's been defeated. And in this passage, Paul is going to show us three things that I think are important to this victory. Here's the first one. Spiritual warfare is real and we need God's help. The second is that we need to fight with the armor of God. And lastly, we we need to know that prayer is the battleground. Let's jump into verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. As I mentioned earlier, the first thing Paul wants us to see this morning is that spiritual warfare is real and we need God's help. I love that Paul starts with this before he gives them any information about what the spiritual war is or how to fight in it. He tells them that they need to be strong in the Lord and in his vast strength. He wants us to see that we can't be foolish or arrogant enough to think that we can do this in our own power. Think about it. If we can't save ourselves from our sin in our own strength and our own power, we certainly can't save ourselves in a spiritual battle against the devil. The devil's cunning. He's tricky. He's ruthless. And he's been around a long time. And if you think you can outsmart him or in your own strength, muster it within yourself to fight against the devil, you are fooling yourself. We need Christ because Christ defeated the enemy on the cross. And his victory is our victory. But in ourselves, we have no power. So Paul starts with showing us that we need God's strength. And he goes on to verse 11, and he says, put on the full armor of God. Again, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, evil, and spiritual forces in the heaven. He's talking about spiritual warfare here. Now, I think it'd be helpful for us to have a working definition of spiritual warfare this morning. So here it is. Spiritual warfare is the spiritual battle between God and the church and the devil and his demons. Okay? So spiritual warfare is the battle between God and the church, the church being like the people of God, and the devil and his demons. There's a lot to unpack here. Paul starts by telling us to to put on the full armor of God, and we're gonna discuss this a little bit more later. Uh, Many sermons have been preached on the armor of God. I'm sure you've even heard many, Uh, but not many sermons have been preached, uh, in my experience, on who the devil is. So I'll spend a little bit more time on that today, but first he tells us that we can stand. Underline that word, stand, because you're gonna see it four times in these 10 verses. Stand. We can stand against the schemes of the devil and against cosmic powers of darkness. What you see here is that Paul introduces what seems to be an adversary or an enemy of God and Christians, and you're exactly right. And if we're talking about spiritual warfare, it's important to know who Satan is because he's the one who's waging war against God and against you. Many have a good idea of what we believe about God or or even have a doctrine about who God is but we also need a doctrine of the devil. A lot of people know quite a bit about God, but when it comes time to talking about or articulating who the devil is, a lot of us come short in our theology of who he is. 
It's like a team showing up to a national championship football game without studying anything about the opponent. That would be crazy. It's even more crazy to think we can battle the devil without knowing who he is. So I thought a helpful way for us to start would be to looking at the names that the Bible gives the devil throughout scripture. Because oftentimes, these names that are given to the devil in scripture are descriptors of what he does. All right, here's the first one. The first one is Satan. This is the most common title given to the devil. It's given 50 times throughout scripture. And it means, it's the Hebrew word for adversary. So he's our adversary, he's our enemy. Second is the devil. This is the second most common title at 35 times. And this word refers to one who accuses and slanders. Basically, this is saying that he is a liar. John 8, says that, that lying is his native tongue. He loves to accuse you of your sin. He loves to accuse you against, against Christ and against God, but Christ steps in and says, no, he's mine. She's mine. Third is the evil one. Evil describes his heart, his desire, his overall character. He has no compassion he has no love in him or care for anyone. Mercy Church, you need to hear this. He hates you. He hates you. Some of us, we can think, well, maybe he's not that bad. No, no, no. He is that bad. He wants to destroy you, which leads us to the fourth one, which is destroyer. God is the creator of all things, of all things, and the devil is the one who seeks to destroy all things. The chief creation of God is people who are made in his image, so we are his biggest target. And the last one is the ruler of this world. Now, this last title is an important one because it gets to the heart of our passage today. Paul is telling us in verse 11 that there is a ruler of this world that's constantly scheming against God and God's people And when it says that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces in the heavens, Paul is showing us that this isn't a visible enemy. This is a spiritual one. The schemes of the devil, they're sneaky and they're they're often cloaked, which begs the question, well, what are his schemes? Well, I believe that there are two main strategies and schemes of the devil. I agree with John Piper here, and he says that the two main strategies are intimidation and deception. Their intimidation and deception of all of his schemes and strategies and spiritual forces, what are they trying to do? They're trying to intimidate you or deceive you away from following Christ. His aim is to destroy you, your family, your marriages, your friendships, your children. He cares nothing but your demise, for nothing but your demise. So here's some specific ways. So we see intimidation and deception as some umbrella terms here, but here's more specific. So here's one, he can tempt us. He can tempt us to sin. Number two, he can blind eyes of non-believers. You know, the goal, his ultimate goal is to blind them from believing in the gospel, right? Number three, he can deceive us. He can lie to us. He can lie to us about all sorts of things, about who you are, about what you should and shouldn't be doing. He can plan strategies. This indicates that Satan, he's not acting sporadically. He's not random, but he's strategic. And if that's true, we need to be equally strategic by knowing our weaknesses and taking precautions. Number five, he can hinder. Believe it or not, he can hinder gospel ministry 
First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul's talking about the fact he's trying to go from one city to another, but the enemy keeps hindering him from getting there. Why? So he can stop gospel movement from going forward. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt opposed in the ministry that God's given you in your work or in your family or in, you know, in other places? Number six, he can enslave. One of the really difficult things for people to hear in truth is in Ephesians chapter two, in just the really amazing passages. It's an amazing passage, but it's also difficult. Well, why is it difficult? Because Ephesians chapter two says that all persons without Christ, it says they follow the prince of the power of the ear, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience in whom we once all walked. What does that mean? If you look down at it, what it really means is that those apart from Christ, they follow the world, they follow the world. And the world follows Satan. Now, we, we even see this in the scriptures, which is, this is also a really difficult picture. You know, when we read through the gospels, we see that he can possess people. By that, he can enter into them and control them. This is a pretty common thing that you see in the mission field, but it doesn't happen just overseas. Listen, we have seen this happen at Mercy Church. On numerous occasions, I've seen demons cast out on Sunday mornings. That might seem weird to you, but you know, we're not trying to make everybody aware to it, right? But that's happened here on Sunday mornings. I've, been, I've seen it. I've seen this happen at UNC Charlotte. I've seen this happen on multiple mission trips through here at Mercy Church. Listen, the devil, don't be shocked that the devil is trying to enslave. That is what he wants to do. He wants to enslave and to destroy. Now, before we all freak out, <laughs> before we all freak out, we need to remember that God is sovereign over this. He is in control over this. The book of Job, I won't get into it all this morning, but the book of Job shows that God is even in control over Satan and his attacks. But what we also see is that Satan has limitations. These are really important for you, so I would love for you to write these down. Here's the first one, is that he's not omnipresent. So, here's what that means. He's not everywhere. Satan can only be one place at one time. He's a created being. He's kind of like an evil angel, right? He can only be one place at one time. He's not omniscient. That means he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything about God and he doesn't know everything about you, okay? Now, does he know a lot? Yes, he knows a lot. I also guarantee you he knows the scriptures and he knows how to twist them. And he knows how to lie to you even with the word of God. He did that to Jesus in Luke chapter four and then Jesus responded back to him with scripture and dominated him, by the way, it was awesome. which leads us to the fourth one, is that he can be successfully resisted by believers. I love that. Is Satan powerful? Yes. Is he really smart? Yes. But we can resist him. James chapter four says that we can. Resist him and he will flee from you. Today is the start of the resistance for many of you. So a common question that is often asked of me is how can we tell the difference if we're being attacked by our flesh or being attacked by the enemy? That's a great question. I can't spend a ton of time here, but hopefully this will help. I think there are two ditches that we can tend to fall into as followers of Jesus. The first ditch is that the devil is everywhere and he's in everything. And any opposition that you face must be the devil or his demons. You might've heard somebody say, that's the devil, right? You know, just, hey, 
Traffic light, this should be green. That's the devil. You know what I mean? Like, like listen, since the devil's not omnipresent, the statement, <clears throat> excuse me, that some of us make, well, the devil's tempting me to look at things that I shouldn't on my phone, it's probably not valid. It's probably not valid for a number of reasons. One, I love you, but you're probably not that important. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, of all the people in the world, I doubt he's taking time on you and on me when he can only be at one place at one time. Most, of, most likely, I don't know, he's probably working on Kim Jong-un or something, you know? And most of us, you know, what's probably happening is most of our temptation is probably our weak flesh desiring things that we know that we shouldn't. So that's the first ditch, okay, is that the devil is in absolutely everything. And that can be an intimidation tactic by the devil to get us afraid. The second ditch is, is that some of us fall into is that some of us never even considered the possibility that we could be being attacked. Like we don't, it didn't even cross our minds that that's even in the realm of possibility. Now, while it's true that, that the devil and his demons are not omnipresent, Mark 1.39, in the ministry of Jesus, what we see it says he went, Jesus went to all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So basically what this is saying, everywhere that Jesus went, there was a synagogue to preach in and everywhere that Jesus went, there was a demon to cast out. So that means that there are probably a lot of them, a lot of demons. So how do we know that? On one occasion in the gospels, uh, there was thousands of demons in just one man. Remember, he said, we are legion and we are many. A legion is thousands. And then Jesus casted them out and they went into the pigs and they destroyed the whole town economy and they kicked Jesus out and it was a wild scene, right? So those are the two ditches you can fall into. You can fall into, the, listen, the devil is in absolutely everything, right? And we over-spiritualize the devil, right? Well, Satan's got you on one end because he's got you fearful. And then Satan gets you on the other end go into the other ditch where you don't even consider the possibility that you could be being opposed. Both of those ditches are, you could find yourself in foolish positions. And the enemy does not, or the, the, the Lord doesn't want us there. So let's keep going. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Having prepared everything to take your stand. I love that, having prepared everything. Stand therefore, there's that word again, Stand therefore with truth like belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. Here's the second thing, fight with the armor of God. That's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to fight with the armor of God. Verses 10 through 12, Paul tells us who the enemy is and his schemes. And now Paul tells us um, how to battle against the schemes of the devil. He tells you to stand against the devil. And here's the thing. If he's telling us to stand against the devil, what Paul is saying here, there's a command here. It's that we must put on the armor. We are responsible for being ready. We are not passive participants in this war. We have to get ready. Now, is God going to help fight for us? Yes. But Paul's saying here that we are participants in this. We're responsible for gearing up. And he said, put on the full armor of God because we live in an, live in an evil day. 
Well, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean, evil day? It means a couple things. One, that we live in an evil age, right? Like the age around us, the day that we live in is evil, meaning that it, do, it doesn't love the things of God, right? And the second thing that it could mean an evil day is, is that there is a literal evil day, like an actual day where the enemy will show up on your doorstep. And Paul wants us to be ready for both the evil age and the actual day when he shows up. The armor that Paul is showing us is to put on to fight against intimidation and deception. And each of these pieces of armor protect us from a different tactic of the enemy. Let's go on to 14. Stand therefore with truth, with belt around your waist. The first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Like a Roman soldier would need to gird themselves up for battle and tie their belt tightly to keep all the equipment of war together, what holds us together? It's a great question, and and what holds us together is truth. Why? Because it's where freedom is found. Truth found in Scripture. John 8 says that, um, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom starts with truth. Slavery starts with believing lies. We must hold on to and be convinced of this truth of Scripture. Fam, this is why you need to know your Bibles. This is why you need to know your Bibles. There's a lot of fool's gold out there. Things that look pretty and look nice, but are only going to destroy you. Practically, this can look like our culture, our friends, or or even you deceiving yourself into doubting the truth of scripture to follow the winds of your desire in the moment. Listen, the scriptures aren't a salad bar where we get to pick and choose what we want to believe. No, it's our authority for faith and life. God has designed the world and you to be live in a certain way for your joy and for your good and for your flourishing. And when we walk outside of that and are deceived, it only leads to our slavery back into sin, the very thing that we've been broken free from. Paul goes on in 14, says that we need to put on our belt around our waist, but also righteousness like armor around our chest. Some translations say the breastplate of righteousness. Like the military today, they they wear bulletproof vests to protect the most vital organs. In the same way, we must put on the righteousness of God to protect our hearts. The breastplate of righteousness is to fight against the games that the enemy is going to try to play. He's going to replay every sin that you've ever committed. He's going to try to show you all the ways in which your past disqualifies you from the love of God. And he's going to show you all of these things in hopes that you run away from God. There is a battleground for your heart, and if you don't protect it, you can be led astray. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness, what you're saying is that, hey, righteousness is not in myself. Righteousness is in what Jesus did for me. He lived perfectly. He lived all of that in my place, and his righteousness is now my righteousness. So we put on that breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, he goes on to say, that your feet are sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So sandals for your feet. Basically what this is saying is you need to put on your spiritual Crocs and put those bad boys into sport mode, right? You need to get, you need to get going, right? We need to put on these shoes so that we're not easily moved. Have you ever felt moments or seasons in your life where you're just pushed around and you just get knocked to and fro all the time? I know I have. The idea here is that the Lord wants us to be immovable, And that we're not going to budge when lies and pressure and opposition comes our way. And not only that, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only are we going to stand our ground and not budge when pressure comes, we're also gonna take the gospel forward in the midst of our circumstances because there's no testimony like sharing the gospel in the midst of suffering, amen? Verse 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then there's a shield of faith. Having faith is extremely important. So much so that it's a spiritual gift given to the church for her encouragement. The enemy's goal is to shatter your faith with intimidation and deception. You might have heard 1 Peter 5, 9, which says, be sober-minded, be alert, your adversary is the the devil's a prowling lion or is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Many of us have this verse memorized, right? Many of us have it memorized. But there's a second part to this verse. It says, resist him, firm in what? The faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers and and sisters, your believers around the world. Listen, you are not alone. Listen, we have all wavered in our faith, and and I was reminded recently by a pastor uh, that we need to be more honest with each other when we come to church on Sunday mornings. Some of you are wavering in your faith, and you're not telling anybody. The very means of grace, the church of God that God has given to you to encourage you and to help strengthen you when you feel weak, you're not being open about. So we keep staying in these positions. So new goal at Mercy Church, I know all of you are gonna obey it because the Lord is good and you love him, is that every Sunday morning, my prayer and my ask of you is that you would be honest with at least one person about how you're doing. If your faith is wavering, tell someone and they'll pray for you. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So there's two kind of in one because they kind of go together, helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Again, Paul emphasizes the word of God, the helmet of our salvation. It reminds us of our salvation. For many, the devil's trying to get you to doubt it to doubt God's love. If that's you, listen to me. The most, one of the most powerful attacks of the enemy is for him to get you to lose hope. Losing hope will take you out of the race so fast. The helmet reminds us of an important truth that there are great implications to our salvation. The helmet reminds us that there's more, there's more than just our salvation. Look at Romans 5.8. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. But what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The implication, yes, it's of your salvation, but it's also, who is the devil to stand up to you when you're in Christ? Who is he? Eat it, Satan, right? (laughs) Y'all, let's use the word of God to fight back. Verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every, with every prayer request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth with boldness, with the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains and I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. As I close this morning, here's the last thing I think the Lord wants for us and it's this, prayer is the battleground. Prayer is the battleground. The last thing we see is that Paul mentions is prayer. He mentions it three times as he starts to close this letter. Look at the intensity of his words. Pray at all times in the spirit 
with every prayer and request. Not only that, stay alert, be persevere in it, he says. He's saying, church, pray like you are at war. Pray in the spirit, every prayer request, be alert, be persevere. Pray for me, he says, so that he can have the boldness to say all the things that Paul knows he's going to be afraid to say because it's gonna be difficult. He knows that. So you and I, we're gonna have to persevere in prayer. Church, I know that prayer is hard. I know it is for me. I have so much room to grow here. But listen, church, prayer is where you put on the armor. And listen, peacetime prayer prepares you for wartime prayer. If you aren't praying in times of peace, you won't be ready for times of war. The implications are, yes, you're at war at all times in some senses, but there are some times when you're not, being, you're not being spotted, right? And you're in times of peace, so what do you do? You take it easy. But there's gonna be a moment in your life I promise you of this, there's going to be a moment, a day will come when the enemy knocks on your door. Church, don't be out of practice of prayer. Don't be out of practice. Don't float around throughout life as if it won't show up on your doorstep because one day you're gonna get that call. Bam. One day, Some of you are in this circumstance right now. Your child that you thought loved Jesus is suddenly running hard after the things of the world. Bam. The person at work is actively opposing you. Bam. You're lying awake at night crying, wondering if God loves you because of the things you did the night before. Listen, church, the enemy will come. But church, let's gear up. Let's gear up. Let's fight back. You don't need to just get run over by the enemy. In Christ, you you already have victory. He's already won it for you. All we have to do is walk in it, amen? Let me pray for you. I wanna close in prayer. God, I thank you for this morning. And as we close in prayer this morning, Lord, I know that there are people who have been attacked this week, this month, this year, this decade. Lord, right now in this room, Lord, we want to go to war, but we need your help. Lord, I pray against attack of lies, lies to deceive us from following the plans that you have for us. Lord, in your word, says everything that we need for truth, for godliness, for walking in joy, yet so many of us are deceived into thinking that the things of this world will satisfy us more than the things found in your word. Lord, help us to not be deceived. Lord, I pray for our children Lord, we pray for their salvation and God, that you would protect them. Lord, help us to disciple them well. 
Help them to not be deceived and easily swayed by their friends. Lord, I pray that us as parents, that we would be a safe place for them to run, to find wisdom and truth, and that we would take them to the scriptures. And Lord, there are those this morning that have been facing intense attack from the enemy. But Lord, I wanna pray for them right now. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that the enemy would flee from them right now. Lord, any stronghold or oppression that is on them, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would make them flee. And if there's anyone here this morning that has been walking in darkness and you have not given your life to Jesus, you need to know that there is a God who loves you that lived a perfect life you could never live. He died on a cross for your sins, not only for, to save you from your sins, which is the ultimate good, but also to save you from this darkness that you are now experiencing. And Jesus went into the darkness of the tomb and then he came out three days later defeating death and sin so that you didn't have to live in darkness anymore. Turn to Jesus this morning. God, we love you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.